Schultz. And on Tuesday mornings, we go to Washington, D.C., and New York Times investigative reporter David Farenthold. If you check your watch, it's 2023, but of course, this being in, this being America, that means it's actually 2024. And the presidential campaign is underway. The first GOP presidential primary debate is going to be in Milwaukee in August. And of course, the, uh, the jockeying uh, has al- already begun. Let's go to uh, David Farenthold from the New York Times. And um, so, so, who would you consider to be the the front runners in the on the Republican side so far? To me, there's only two people in this race, and that's Trump, who's already in the race, and Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who is not declared yet, but seems on his way to declaring. The polls show those two far and away ahead of everybody else who's declared or undeclared. Mm-hmm. So, Nikki Haley, not a factor. Maybe as a spoiler, maybe she takes away some of the votes that would have gone to DeSantis. Uh, but no, I don't see her, or Mike Pence, anybody else playing any sort of significant role other than maybe as a spoiler. Yes, there's a story about uh, Ronna McDaniel, the head of the RNC, uh, saying, I think I got this right, that the, one of the criteria for participating in the presidential debate would be that the candidate would have to, each candidate would have to agree to support whoever the party's nominee is. Is that correct? She did say that, yes. Okay, so is there any question this time around that uh, somebody would, would, you know, pull the, the Trump stunt? I mean, Trump could. That's, that, to me, that's what's so silly about this, is that Trump could say, I won't take that pledge, and they would probably still let him in a debate. Or it would be like in 2016 where they would have a debate without him and nobody would care. Or Trump could say, I'll do it, you know, I'll support the nominee, and then change his mind later. What are they, going to put him in jail? Yeah. You know, I, I just, I feel like it, maybe she feels like it's, you know, it's, it has to be done, but I don't think it really has any, like, meaning for the way this race is going to go. If Trump does not get the nomination, I can't see him being a good soldier and supporting whoever did. So a symbolic thing with, uh, with no teeth. So, so how is election denial playing lately? Have there been any uh, recent polls on that? Well, it does seem like it is it is in decline. Uh, they, they, you know, they, they both candidates lost in twenty twenty two, and I think the sort of Republican establishment that have been playing footsie with that because they thought that might it might win elections has pulled back. Um, but there are some individual folks who ran on those platforms who lost who have now gone on to be high ranking people in their own state Republican parties. Michigan's a good example. Their Secretary of State candidate, who is an election denier, then denies that she lost the election she lost in twenty twenty two, is now the state GOP chair. So. In some of those places, the, the local Republicans seem pretty dedicated to doubling down on this strategy that doesn't work. But I think the national Republican Party is trying to move beyond it. Yeah. So in what what, what then is the overall message of the Republican Party? If it's not going to be election, election denial and, you know, how we have to fix this corrupt system of vote fraud, uh, what is their theme going to be? Well, I mean, I think DeSantis is, to me, the person who's put together the most coherent view of a Republican Party that's not based on election denial. And his seems to have two prongs. One, crime, you know, to raise fears about crime and blame Democrats for crime in cities. And number two, uh, the sort of woke element, like stopping wokeness, you know, whether that means going after colleges, you know, banning books. That whole sort of cultural culture war thing about wokeness. Mm-hmm. Which, and why is that? I mean, I mean, traditionally, Republicans don't want the federal government to control education. So why would he come back and say, vote for me because I will control education? Well, I think that what's really interesting about this is that the Republicans, yes, said we want the government to stay out of education or the federal government to stay out of education. We want the government to stay out of businesses. But now that businesses and schools are promoting these cultural values they don't agree with, 
now they're after business. They want businesses to stop, you know, talking about climate. They want schools to stop, uh, you know, stocking these books. So I think it, it was more a question of, you know, when they thought leaving leaving them alone would serve their interests, they were into it. Now that you know. They, these institutions of belief have gone off track. They want the power to change them. Yeah, of course you can campaign against wokeness. I don't think it'll really lead to any any major changes. the 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 problem would be if that's sort of a Trojan horse for doing some of these budgetary things that they have hinted at, such as sunsetting various federal programs, which might include Social Security. I'm pretty sure they don't want to really touch that. But I mean, several Republicans have raised that issue not just recently, but as far as I can remember, they think it's a Ponzi yeah. scheme. So how serious are they about making action? budget cuts that would affect things like Social Security, like Obamacare, and some of these entitlements that people have come to depend on? I think very unserious. Uh, that's why I think it's been the sort of weird subtext to this, the debt ceiling fight, is that Republicans have said, we really want, you know, we're, we're going to demand budget cuts in order for there to be a, a debt ceiling fight. But unlike in 2010, the last time I did this, there's been very little specificity about what they want to cut. And that that's because Trump took that whole budget cutting, cut Social Security, cut Medicare, that whole strain of the Republican Party, which frankly did not ever work electorally, Trump got rid of that. So the people, there's no, I think, well, some people, Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, has talked about that in general. But I don't think there's really real appetite to change Social Security and Medicare. People who get that like it, and they vote. So they're not going to mess with that. And if you don't take care of that, that's a huge part of the federal budget. Right. So I don't think we'll see anyone being serious about cutting the federal budget because you got to touch the Pentagon or Social Security or Medicare. And Republicans and Democrats are unwilling to touch any of those three big parts of the budget. Okay. Now, on the Democratic side, in terms of the presidential race, the the latest hint I get is that uh, Biden is is going to run again and that he's got uh, the green light from his wife and uh, that this is going ahead. Is that your sense, or is there a a dark horse waiting in the wings somewhere? No, I, I think that Biden is going to run. I think if he does run, he will not be opposed by anyone serious. Yeah. You know, and that's partly because he's, you know, fortunes have been trending better, and also because who is out there? You know, there's no, who would challenge him? I don't think Bernie would do it. I don't think Bernie said he won't do it. There's no other figure with the stature to take on Biden, and Biden's not like a Hillary Clinton figure that so many people just viscerally don't like. So I just don't see a, a, a lane for somebody to run against him if he runs. So how does he avoid looking like the old man on stage up there against DeSantis? Well, that'll be a real question. If he runs against Trump, it won't be so much of a problem. Right. But if it is DeSantis, yes, I think he will. That will be a big attack. And you know, you're already seeing it in Republican, you know, rhetoric. You know, people over 75 should have to take a cognitive test. You know, that you know that Biden is too old. You know, or 75 plus is too old to be president. You know, Biden's going to have to find a way around that. Uh, and I think he's been trying to show more energy and more sort of vigor, like at the State of the Union. Um, but yeah, that's, if he goes against DeSantis, who's so much younger, uh, that's going to be a really a key part of the election. And one more issue that's going to play out as this campaign is ramping up, and that's the whole lawsuit against Fox News. There's some, there's some really damning texts there. Uh, they have right. some lots of splaining to do. Uh, how far do you think this goes? Does it get people fired? Does it put the corporation's existence in jeopardy? So just a little backstory on that. Dominion Voting Systems, one of the people, groups who make voting machines, has sued Fox for basically peddling false 2020 election conspiracy theories, including those about Dominion. And uh, they have come up with all these things in discovery about how Fox hosts and even Rupert Murdoch, the head of Fox, knew that the election denial, the things that they were talking about on TV were lies, and they said them anyway. Uh, you know, this will end probably with a very large financial payment or penalty or settlement from Fox. You know, I don't see Tucker Carlson getting fired. I don't see Fox shutting down. 
But, you know, maybe it will change the way Fox acts in the future if they now have been slapped down for, you know, this thing they've done for so long, which is knowing that something's not true, but knowing that their their viewers want to hear it and saying it anyway. Mm. I think Dominion wants a jury trial, but that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> David Farenthold from The New York Times. David, thank you. Thank you. I- Let's go. Let's go. Like I said, it's time for Choke Points, brought to you by Acton's Quality Roofing. And today is the special Choke Points Grab Bag Edition, where Chris will hit several topics in rapid fire, starting with an upcoming lane shift on I-5 and Fife. Go. Yes, this one is northbound I-5, or I-5 in general in Fife. The new 50-mile-an-hour safety zone went up on the northbound I-5 lanes near 70th and Fife earlier this month, included a lane shift to the right to create a work zone in the middle of the freeway. Last night, they were supposed to do the same thing in the southbound direction. Drivers there this morning were supposed to be dealing with a 50-mile-an-hour zone and a little jog to the right for the lanes. That didn't happen. Uh, They wanted to be careful, didn't want to get out there in potential snow. Uh, So they're going to try to get it done tonight. So tomorrow morning, as you make your way on southbound 5, it looks like we should have that 50-mile-an-hour zone and a change in the lane configuration. So just be prepared. Uh, That's for the work they're doing there as they continue uh, or really start to work on the Gateway Project extending 167 uh, across I-5 all the way coming over from uh, the Port of Tacoma and into Puyallup. Now, off to the legislature. want to update you on a couple of things that we have been tracking here in Olympia, both Matt Markovich and myself. And the first one is the road usage charge, which we have talked about for years. The plan to eliminate the gas tax and replace it with a 2.5 cents a mile fee. Voluntary plan would start in 2025 with the goal of making it mandatory in 2030. That, according to the bill, being heard in the House Transportation Committee. And there were so many people signed up to testify about this idea last week that they had to extend the hearing into a second day. Now, most of the testimony was in opposition to the plan, and it's for the primary reason that we have been discussing for years. As currently written, there was nothing in this bill that would protect the money to make sure that it actually goes to roads. The gas tax is protected by the 18th Amendment to the state constitution. It must go to the roads under that amendment. Mike Ennis, with the Association of Washington Business, is concerned that the legislature could siphon away funds to pet projects and other issues, leaving our roads with no funding. If road usage charge is meant to replace the gas tax, then it should be treated in the same way. And like gas tax revenues, protecting a ruck under the 18th Amendment would honor the principle that users who pay the fee are insured to receive the benefit. The legislature has a long history of sweeping funds for other uses. And that history is one of the reasons why the road usage charge didn't make it out of committee last session and why it still has somewhat lukewarm support this season. State Rep Beth Dolio doesn't seem to understand why protecting the funds is so important. Can you... It, just explain why that's so important to you. And Ennis responded. Those dollars should be protected for to, to, to those who, who paid into that system, and they should be the ones who benefit from it. A bill that would codify that under the 18th Amendment was not even given a hearing. So we'll be watching uh, closely. Still no companion bill for the ruck in the Senate as well. And let's uh, also look at the odometer reading bill. This one is tied to the road usage charge. It would require drivers to give their cars odometer reading when getting their tabs starting next year. The idea is to get drivers used to giving over their mileage in anticipation of a road usage charge being approved because that's how it you would charge based on how many miles you drove. The bill moved out of the House Transportation Committee last week, but only after a late night amendment was added, stripping any penalties if you refuse to give your odometer reading. The original bill required that reading to get your tab 
Now the bill just reads, hey, you can still get your tabs whether you comply or not. So going forward, I'm just referring to this as the just kidding bill. Uh, so that's how our legislation gets done in Olympia, at yeah. least on these issues. <laughs> on uh, on keeping the road uses charge fee for use on roads, that's there is a real movement to make sure that it's available for things like transit, because the argument is uh, the point is to move people around and find the best way to do it, regardless of what, what the mode is. That is true, but... The road usage charge is meant to replace the gas tax, and the gas tax is meant to go directly to roads. And in fact, it is directly put behind and put into the roads under the Constitution. And the transportation package last last session includes a bunch of money, billions of dollars for transportation and other transit and other non-car modes of getting around using those carbon fees that we've been talking about. So there is plenty of money for transit and all those other things under that. This would just make sure that the money that you is tied to the road damage that you're doing actually goes back to repairing those roads. Right. But could you also argue that, for example, when, when they actually get really serious about fixing I-5, Sound Transit needs to be ready to take all those people, right? Because we're closing it all the way up to where, like Linwood or something? I mean, well, I mean, it's well, at some point, yes, but that's, I mean, Linwood's probably is not so going to open until 2025. It's not going to get to Everett into the 40s now. So, I but mean, eventually, if they're ever going to maintain I 5 in a serious way, there's got to be a really viable mass transit alternative unless people just decide, well, to work from home. I guess we could do that. Now. Yeah, but but the problem is, as you know, is that the time to have put in light rail was in the 90s when it was voted down. When, you, know, you can't change that. I, I, so. know, I know we, we don't have a time machine. <laughs> there are plenty of things we wish we could. Uh, but yeah, so that's – but the problem is, yeah, that this money mm. could be – next thing you know, the, the concern is that I-5 would then not have the money. If all yeah. of that money gets siphoned off or isn't protected, could I mean, for all we know, it could end up in the general fund. And next thing you know, it's going to building jails and schools yeah. as opposed to which nobody roads. wants either. Right? Well, no, I mean, we need, <laughs> but the funding mechanism should be tied to the people who are paying it. Just but now that you mention it, I think it might be a wise investment to build a time machine because we could fix a lot more stuff if we just did that. Well, know? that's possible. We've got a lot of really smart engineers <laughs> in this town. We should be able to figure you that out, think. right? Now, yes. of course. Would the proper would they go back and fix that or would they fix other things? That's like right. perhaps the Denny party again will tell them stay in Tacoma. <laughs> stay in Tacoma. A little further north, there are too many lakes and there's too much stuff in the way. This is and, a, this is a job for Felix Spinell. Let's get him in here. Let's take it to the legislature now. And Cairo News Radio's Matt Markovich, where bills are being passed uh, left and right, lickety split. So what are the uh, highlights here, Matt? Yeah, it's uh, going real fast. We're almost halfway through the legislative session, but I first want to report, talk to you about the governor yesterday f- calling in following our report yesterday. And I thought uh, you made some news there because he says that he's hoping for a positive tax revenue report. So we won't have to go to, to the voters for a $4 billion levy. So that's what yeah. he said in your little conversation. So good job on that. Well, thank you very much. I was glad he called. Anytime. Yeah. Um yeah, so there's a lot of things happening. So I thought, you know, here's a let's talk about a day where everybody agrees on everything. Yes. And uh, you know, that's what's happening right now. The bills are hitting the House floor and the Senate floor. So a lot of them are passing without any opposition. So for examples, um if you get into a collision, uh and you injure somebody on a car, uh you must take a driver's examination or the components of an electric vehicle charging station uh are now part of a metal recycler list that they should not accept. 
kept. Um, state trooper recruitment, $10,000 for new recruits after a first year, $15,000 after the first year for a lateral, but they're competing against uh, counties that are offering five to $30,000 as an incentive bonus. And then wind, engine, wind energy facilities, you have to mitigate light pollution. If you drive from Seattle to Spokane, you've noticed those big wind farms and the mm-hmm. lights blinking at night. Well, next time uh, that happens, uh, in about a year or two, they have to have some sort of monitoring system where a plane is nearby. Then the lights turn on uh, uh, only when the, something's in the air. So, And recycling those turbine blades, that's a study on that. That's that's just kind of an example of something that uh, they're talking about, and they, everybody agrees on. It's almost universal, no opposition at all. That's good. And um, uh, But, you know, a couple of I, other things, doxing. That's a big de- deal, you know. Basically, they passed a bill in the uh, in the house. Excuse me, the house. Yeah, the house floor that prohibits publication of an individual's personal identification without consent. I mean, I mean, Jim Walsh just puts it really bluntly what doxing is. Doxing is a terrible thing. It is a scourge of our online economy and culture. And what it means is you have to have the intent to do harm to an individual by posting their personal information on on some form. And Democrat Drew Hansen lays out what really doxing means. It is scary to have all of the personal details of your life suddenly put out there as a call to others to harass you. Right. Now, everybody agreed on it, but it does give an exception to news media when the intent is by the news media is not malice. But Walsh also brings up a, a question that just giving that little exemption a little bit for a news media brings up a slippery slope. That the language still doesn't address the growth of independent journalism, which in some corners considered a menace and in other corners considered a godsend. Yeah, everybody's news media now. That's right. And that's a big question that that's actually the governor's office is talking about uh, for a variety of issues I can't talk about right now uh, because we're waiting to do the story is what is a journalist mm-hmm. uh, nowadays? You know, it's is it a traditional? Well, I'm media? glad to see this bipartisan agreement that that doxing when it's done by an individual for malicious purposes ought to be punished. Uh, I certainly agree with that. And, and frankly, the idea that sometimes news media will publish what uh, the, the address of someone for the purposes of people demonstrating outside, that's not right either. So, uh, I, well, I mean, they, well, I think they should get control over that. Well, that uh, I think that latter thing, the way I heard the arguments yesterday, would be allowed because mm-hmm. of but of, of who's doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the big question, and that's going to be another uh, debate later on in the session. So um, what about accessory dwelling units? Now, these are these uh, little cottages that you can build in your backyard. Uh, and so what the they also passed almost universally is the cities and counties can waive and defer, reduce fees, and offer incentives to build these these uh, ADUs. And you can't have a covenant going forward if this passes after it passes, it, like it's say in your in your in your uh, your deed. development that prevents ADUs. So Democratic Senator Sharon Shoemake says, and she's a sponsor, says it's all about streamlining the permit process. The problem is there's so much red tape in trying to build them. And so what we're trying to do is remove some of that red tape. But Republican Senator Ann Rivers believes that cities and counties should control when and where housing should be permitted. And this, this takes it away. This is the continuous march to remove local ability to make decisions that are right for the resident. That's interesting. So the, these are Republicans who actually want to see more controls on the free market, huh? 
Well, they want to have the local control. They want. They mm-hmm. think that the the local planning commission has a better idea what should go happen in a certain development than the state, which looks at the big picture. Mm-hmm. And uh, but this is all part of a big, wide push to increase the level of housing. I mean, right. you had the governor talking about it yesterday. This is a big Democratic push. Uh, and a lot of different bills, and this is just one of them, freeing up the ability to put these ADUs in someone's backyard. And there's a, there's people who are totally against that. Yeah. Uh, so well, I, I thought it was interesting, though, the, the way the, the shakes out politically, because when it comes to, example, for gun regulations, Republicans do not want local gun regulations. They want statewide preemption. But when you try to do it with uh, development, somehow that's a problem. Well, you know, Dave, politicians want it both ways. You know? <laughs> Tell us about this family burial thing. Yeah, well, we've talked about this before, but this is another one of those things that seems to have absolutely no uh, opposition at all. It's like going back to the Old West where you can bury grandma in the backyard. Uh, but what the, the controversy came up is that uh, you can't make a cemetery in your backyard. Now, the reason why I say that is that there was some belief that if we make it a cemetery, even a little family burial plot, mm-hmm. uh, it's a tax-exempt. Cemeteries do not pay property taxes. So you can't just say, Jamal says you're creating a cemetery. It wasn't the intent of the bill that he sponsored. It does not create a loophole for a, a proper cemetery. The family burial plot is exactly that. That'd be a sweet move if you could just bury grandma and then suddenly pay no tax on your home, huh? Well, that's just it. And Democrat Drew Hansen said rather than grandma, he talked about Uncle Pete. We are not giving you a tax exemption if you bury Uncle Pete on your property. But do you have to disclose that when you sell the house? That's the other question. Correct. You do. That's part of the law. You have to disclose this. You can't put the family burial plot near a stream so or a, uh, a, a green certain green belt, some environmental mm-hmm. issues. But you can do it. And you know, basically, this has been going on for quite a while. Uh, the tribes have been very interested in this uh, bill because they do bury the uh, people on their sovereign land. They mm-hmm. want to have a, a kind of a legal state provision that allows that to happen. So it's something that's been happening for a while. Just basically just codifies into law that it's okay. Again, this is just the House that's passing this. And that's what we're happening here. You know, so the House is passing bills that, that aren't really controversial. The Senate's doing the same. But that heavy lifting stuff, that's going to happen in about a week because they have two weeks from yesterday to pass these all the bills out of the floor so they can go to the other house or the Senate. Cairo News Radio's Matt Markovich covering the legislature for us. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. Your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Baird. Focus on your financial needs since 1919. CBS's Caitlin O'Kane introduces us to a baker offering a second chance to anyone who needs it. Nestled in a cozy storefront in East Harlem, New York, there's a bakery called Janie's Life-Changing Baked Goods. The most interesting thing on the menu is their signature pie crust cookies. Really, though, the most interesting thing about Janie's Life-Changing Baked Goods is the woman behind it. Janie, who struggled with homelessness and addiction as a young woman until baking changed her life. When I was getting sober, I found that my life was so like out of control that but baking is such a like you have to follow all the steps, do it all in order. And so baking was just this like beautiful, like meditative, very controlled artistic outlet for me. And I was 25 and had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. But I just found that baking helped me reconnect with people. Jeannie decided she wanted to open a bakery, but she had gaps in her resume. 
and something else. You just had this impression that you had to have money to be a business owner. You had to be a man to be a business owner. You had to have business experience to be a business owner. And so um, it just kind of like I rode the wave, right? Like I was on a path and like something led me and, um, and I had no idea it would turn into this. Now Jamie uses her business to help others struggling to find a job with mentorship and second chance employment. So we have an open door hiring policy, um, which means that you know, if you're ready, willing, able, and like enthusiastic about coming to work, like we're not going to look at sort of like your past situations or gaps on your resume or, you know, if you're homeless or if you've been in prison. Like the person you show up to the interview as is like the person that we're looking at. She has 15 employees across two locations in Harlem and the Upper West Side. Nearly all of them are new to the baking business, but through baking, she's given them all a second chance at life. I think that like the, the people who do come here like really value the fact that you don't have to have like all these credentials or a background of, of any sort um, to, you know, to, to be invited and welcomed in and to work with us. 747 now visiting us from the G and Ursula show. It starts at nine. Here is G Scott. So uh, you had the story uh, about George Santos's little episode in a King County courtroom. Uh, his line clearly goes back a long way. And uh, of course, we have the story now of how Fox News hosts, even though they knew differently because we have their texts to prove it, uh, spread the whole lie about election fraud. And the, and the question is, what? What do you think the law should do about this, if anything? Are you talking about with Fox News and everything yeah. and what they've done? Um, well, here's what needs to happen. Dominion, who is um, uh, on the other side of the lawsuit, needs to make sure that a cash settlement or settlement of whether it's a billion dollars or however, they need for that not to happen. They do nothing good for this country. If they allow Fox News to come out and settle, go to trial, let it go all the way out so we can, so it can be spelled out because there's still a lot of people in this country that really don't know that this is going on. Right. It's not like on Fox News, they're advertising and letting their listeners know like, hey, guys, just want to let you know that, yeah, during the 2020 election, we actually knew. Like, Rupert Murdoch got on the stand and testified that they knew that what they were saying was not true. You mean Tucker Carlson's not hammering away at this every night now? No, no. Hmm. He's not going to do that. So in order for that to happen, you have to go to trial. If you settle and you take the, and you just take, let them get off yeah, the hook right. with the money, that does not help. We are in a time now where uh, alternate facts and misinformation and it's just... It's all right. You've been covering this game, been in this game longer than me. 20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, it doesn't matter about what side of politics that you are. I think that both sides would agree that, hey, look, let's still err on the side of human decency. Let's still err on the side of of, of the truth. If you get caught lying all sides are like, yeah, we got to call that out. Not saying that lying didn't happen because we know lying has always occurred. But the fact that today that it's like, well, they lied, 
But it was the deliberate. Like, how is this all changing the way that it's happening right now? Well, in this country, traditionally, the solution has been that if uh, somebody abuses the free speech privilege, other people use free speech to hold them to account. The ultimate accounting for Fox News would be if the audience says, oh, we we really hated that you lied to us. We're not going to watch you anymore. But (laughs) the other thing I've learned is that when you are committed to a point of view or actually to a belief system uh-huh. that is almost you know, that, that rises to the level of religion, you don't care what the facts are. You want to be you want to be told what you what makes you feel most comfortable. The the lying part, I think it comes down to the amount of reason. I mean, I'm not perfect. I've told a lie in my life. Right. I think we all has have told a lie before and. There's a few ways in which and reasons in which we tell a lie. There is the the angle of there's some narcissism out there, right, where you just or lie comes out. There is a lie where, let's say you and I are friends, but I want to make sure that you have a view of me or I tell you where I was, but I really wasn't there. And uh, <laughs> right. So there was a lie right there. I want to protect this relationship that you and I have. Mm-hmm. And then. There's the lie part that is happening now that probably bothers me the most is when it's for money. That's the part that I have a real hard time with. Like there are really organizations, corporations that are doubling down on lies and they're making money off of it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's no different. We talk about the drug dealer. That's selling drugs into the community. And we say things like, how dare that drug dealer do that? He cannot or she cannot sell that bad stuff in the community. That is bad and is wrong. To which, you know what? I agree with you. You're right. Now, what do we say about the folks that are giving out bad information and they know it's bad information? They know that. But yet they still do, and they still make money off of it. Yeah. Well, there are rules against that. And we are governed by different rules than, than cable and broadcast. I mean, it was drilled into me from the moment I got my first FCC license. If, if you tell a lie on the air, uh, you're no longer employed because that can cost a station its license. If you knowingly tell a lie for the purpose of deceiving people, that's called spreading disinformation, and you, uh, you can't do it. Do you think that that is... Um now that you've, that was when you first got in, that was 47 yeah. years ago. Oh, that was longer. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> How do you think it's enforced more today than it ever was? Uh, or do you think there's a lot of leeway now? In broadcast media, absolutely. If we make a mistake, we correct it. Because <laughs> if you don't, you get in trouble. Uh, clearly on Fox, they don't. Because the, the, this is an extraordinary case to me. And it's only because we have the, the kind of... Uh, the kind of uh, media and technology where people, their innermost thoughts are now there for everybody to see. But the fact that they knew the truth to be one thing and said the exact opposite on the air, if they were a broadcast station, they'd be worrying about their license right now. But because they're cable, the news, the the rules are slightly different. So dangerous. I think so, too. 848 Seattle's Morning News. Mickey Gomez is here. We were talking about uh, George Santos and his lies last hour. Now we're going to talk about statistics. I'm not sure if that's 
that much of a different discussion because, I mean, when you <laughs> you send out these surveys, I don't know how seriously people take them. But, for example, the one that uh, that uh, we saw on uh, Wallet Hub right. that said Seattle is the 11th happiest city in the U.S. Mm-hmm. using 30 different metrics based on scholarly studies. And then you contrast that with uh, our own local guy, Gene Block, the FYI guy at the Seattle Times, who says that we are, what, the saddest, saddest. large... I, I have to. Did you look into this at all? I mean, did, how did they how did they come up with this? What was the question they actually asked? Anyway, so the data so the data that uh, that Gene is talking about came from the Census Bureau, uh, and they're ongoing, according to him, the Household Pulse Survey. Uh-huh. It was a national survey that included um, about fifteen of the biggest metro areas in the country. Seattle was one of those, and. Um, they basically just ask a bunch of questions like, do you like your job? Are you, you know, are you happy? Um, you know, are you happiest in the summer? Are you happiest in the winter? Uh, you know, uh, Wallet Hub likes to do their own surveys and, mm-hmm. and use their own metrics. So they ask about, you know, adequate sleep rates. They talk about uh, suicide rates. How often do you go to a sports game here in Seattle or whatever city you're living in? What's the unemployment rate? What's the income growth? Growth rate. So I think that um, I think Wallet Hub, you know, used more metrics mm-hmm. than maybe the Census Bureau. And so they were able to put the numbers together and, you know, their analytics. And well, then they spit out numbers. Right. So how know? do these surveys help us? What are we supposed to learn from this? Well, I, I think what we're supposed to learn from this really is that, y- you know, it's it, it, we can be a coin. Right. And depending on if you flip the coin today. Oh, I'm tails. I'm going to be I'm going to be sad. Oh, it's heads. Yeah. I'm going to be happy. I, I, I don't think we should live our life based on these statistics, but I think that that we learned that uh, people can take uh, any result and, and come up with their own conclusion. Well, do you, you know? think, let me ask, ask you. I mean, yeah. you've got your finger on the pulse of Seattle. I do. Do you think do you think Seattle's an unhappy city? I don't think we're unhappy, but I do think that um, that. In the wintertime, I think Gene is on to something. Gene Balk is on to something that come wintertime, there are more people um, really experiencing sadness mm-hmm. during the wintertime. And I'm one of them. Really? However, come spring, when we start seeing all the flowers and we start seeing yes. the trees and the cherry blossoms, oh my goodness, well, I've, I've I am ready said, to be outside and happy. There's nothing wrong with this town that a sunny day won't cure. But mm-hmm. there are things you, you have to have strategies for when that sunny day doesn't come. Because we do occasionally go for stretches where you never see the sunshine. Yes. When I first moved here... We had 20 days of rain in a row. I had never experienced that type of weather before in my life. And I was questioning our our decisions moving here. I went, mm-hmm. what did we just do? Uh, now I'm used to it. And I've got friends that, have, that are new here. And I just say, you get over it. The summers outweigh everything. Hold on for summer. It's going to be beautiful. Spring and summer. And you're going to love it. No, and summer's beautiful here. It sold me and my husband for sure. It's just so gorgeous, so picturesque. The weather. 
weather. I think my strategy for winter is mm-hmm. bright colors. Yes. So I love being into fashion and anything I can do in the house, flowers to liven it up. Really I helps me on the days that I don't see the sun at all. We have <laughs> a light, one of those, what the mood lights. Yep. We have mood yep. lights that in really the bathroom. Bright. Everything really bright. bright. Yep. I've got Gerber daisies in my bedroom, daisies in my in my kitchen. So are we one of the happiest cities in America? I, I think overall Seattle's got some work to do. Chris, We've what's got your crime. flower strategy? Uh, yeah. I don't have anything. I, you know, whatever. He's got traffic. <laughs> you know, my question really is, what? who takes the time to answer a survey? I know when people used to call us and before we had spam, you know, spam blockers or whatever, we'd be like, yeah, well, I don't have time for this. So who, I mean, do you think people take the time and then just mess with them and answer crazily or what? I mean, who, who, well, who I have, answers these? I, mean, I have I to don't. confess that uh, I kind of do that. What? <laughs> oh, Dave, come I, on. I, I signed up for one of those survey, you know, well, organizations where they give you like coupons if you like surveys and you can get like mm-hmm. five of them a day. Everything from, you know, are you happy to car repair? And I I just sort of fill them up with the answers that I I really want people to see. Well, here's the thing. When it comes to statistics, there's a probability that it will uh-huh. and a probability that it won't. So even if you decide to mess with the answers and lie about a couple of things, that's okay because there's still a margin of error. So it's okay. But I do take the time to fill out surveys mm-hmm. or I, I want my little $50 gift card that they're going to send you for filling it out or $10 yeah. here and there. But yeah, I mean, so there you go. I think if you want to improve the mood of Seattle... You, you paint over the graffiti, you put up ivy on the retaining walls, you go back to picking up the litter along the highways, and, of course, you find a place to move people out of tents. And then you bring back the nightlife and the cool restaurants, and suddenly, happy city. Huh? I love your ideas. All right, let's do it. That costs money, though. How are we going to do it? we got plenty. Okay. All that those tech jobs? Yeah. It is 8.53, real-time traffic, Beacon Plumbing Traffic Desk. Here's Chris. Dave, you should run for Congress. Um, tried that. We've been there. You Didn't could, work. You should become mayor, Dave. I like all of your ideas. You can be Dave. Is just yeah. he wants Mayor to be, Dave Ross. He wants yeah. to be mayor of Grandpa Town. Grandpa, that's and that's, exactly right. you know, I think he would win that hands down. Right. Like, we should do some exit polling on that. Let's talk to your daughters yeah. and see what the polling we'll would be about, about the mayor of uh, Grandpa Town. Can I get a key to the city? <laughs> sure. Okay. Mayor can do anything. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to the show's podcast. We're happy you're here. And you can keep up with the show and find some of the stories from today online at MyNorthwest.com.